You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your brains in your giant stadiums that are half-filled, I guess. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, AJ Andrews of Cheese from the Couch.com. And I promised you we were getting this double header in. I am finally delivering on it. And I am sorry again that it has taken multiple days to actually catch up. And thank y'all for sticking with me through that. So going to do my best to make this off day as Blue Jays filled as I can for y'all. Um, going to be talking about the future composition of this team in the second half, but I wanted to start um, with a report that, um, again, I referenced in the opening there. Um, Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun, who may be the best part of the Toronto Sun, no lie, Toronto Sun is pretty garbage aside from Longley, so he's worth following, the Sun is not. But yeah, uh, Longley reported on how bad the Blue Jays' attendance has been compared to, well, when the Blue Jays were good. And, I mean, it's not surprising that the Blue Jays are struggling at the gate. But, um, as Rob reported, they're averaging just over 20,000 per game right now. Um, not, not the lowest that the Blue Jays have ever been. That was uh, 19,173 in 2010, which, yeah, I can understand that. 2010 was pretty bad. That was like right before Bautista really took off. So, um, but yeah, it's half of what they had when they were winning. And um, in the piece, Longley talked to Andrew Miller, the executive vice president of, of business operations. And they said they were trying to find ways to impact fans on a positive manner and look for ways to get the fan base excited about the environment, which is kind of like getting a surfer excited about a shark bite. Because, um, yeah, uh, Rogers Center is old. Rogers Center is mostly concrete. And it's tough to convince people to go spend three plus hours in a place like that and and shell out what they have to do to really enjoy that because um longley did the math essentially on what the lost attendance is costing the blue jays and with them being down eight thousand fans per game and the average fan spends in longley's estimation eighty dollars a game that's a $52 million loss. And that's probably being conservative because like the 500 level seats are still costing like $25. 
like I I was checking ticket prices because um spoiler alert I may be trying to get to Toronto at some point in the later in the year just you know to actually be there and meet up with some of y'all um but yeah eighty dollars a game is conservative there like the last admittedly the last time I went to a Blue Jays game was in 2017 um it was me and my partner and we paid sixty dollars for tickets along the left field line and we paid about I want I want to say we had like two drinks so that would be in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 dollars there so that's a hundred dollars for the both of us now at the time both of us were incredibly poor because I was I just graduated from Centennial College and she was working as a temp uh, in a Ontario government agency. So we didn't have a lot of money. So $100 was a lot to drop on a single game. And you're asking Blue Jays fans to pay that much to see a baseball product that they know is likely not going to win. And that's that's just not economically viable in this day and age. And you can... You can try all these promotions all you want. Like like the Canada Day game. They're, they're cutting prices by like 60% trying to get people in to the 500 level seats. Which, again, that's probably the price it should be at normally. But it's definitely not. So... You're, ask, you're asking fans to do that. And and then the other things they're, they're trying to do, they're, they're kind of going half at. Like, like um, having the cheaper drink prices in certain sections. Um, you might as well do it across the board. Just like it's, it's going to make things a lot easier if you just give in to that. You've already put it in. And then like, the do- doing the dollar dog days once a month. That's that's great. Um, you're not getting me interested in food the rest of the time, especially when it costs like, you know, six dollars normally. Like I I I go to games as a fan in spite of the prices, but I'm also very cheap. So I don't go there and spend on concessions because it's ridiculous. I can go outside the stadium and have the same food at a third of the price. It's why I don't buy food at movie theaters anymore because these entertainment owners figure they can just gouge on that when they've already jacked the price of entry up to the point of ridiculousness. You see this, almost everywhere in the entertainment industry like like video games you pay like $80 for the game and then you're expected to pay more to enhance the experience so many different facets of society expect you to pay to enhance the experience and cutting the prices on that won't work if the entry fee is too much and you know what the sad thing is um the blue chase are still eight in American League teams and average attendance, um, which, you know, Tampa Bay would 
kill for to be at that level as opposed to like the quarter of the fans they're getting into an even worse stadium in St. Petersburg. But yeah, I, I, they can keep cutting prices like that, but there, there's only going to be one solution to the attendance woes for the Blue Jays. And that's going to be winning baseball games. And with Rogers starting to cut jobs across the board, you wonder how long they will actually remain committed to this rebuild plan and, and be able to turn it around if they're, if they keep losing money. And a lot of people have taken Rogers to task in the past for not spending the full amount on the team and just expecting fans to go anyway. I, think they're starting to realize as they did in the early 2010s that it's not going to work anymore because prices have spiraled out of control because it's not economically viable to go to a game and and you know see it for the sake of seeing it like my two primary reasons for wanting to go later this season a to cover the team because that's what I'm doing right now. It's it's what I do. So A, cover the team, and B, go meet other people at the game and have that kind of social experience. So I don't know if that's the solution for the Blue Jays to sell that social experience. Maybe, I don't know, hype, hype some of the great fans that the Blue Jays do have and and kind of encourage that kind of interaction. Like, like I mean, um, during the Angels game, when that kid um, caught the foul ball and actually offered it to the guy in the in the Otani Nippon Ham Fighters jersey, that's a great moment. That's a great social building moment. And and you should be pumping that. You should be saying it's it's a communal experience much like other sports, much like a hockey game, much like a soccer game. But in in the end, again, it, winning is what matters in Toronto. We've, we've seen it time and time again. When the Maple Leafs were rebuilding, there was nobody going to the stadium. When TFC was horrible, fans weren't going. As, and the Argos, they, they just can't get anyone. Like... Uh, they lost 64-14 to Hamilton. It's going to be another long season in Toronto for the Argonauts. But winning is what matters. It's why Raptors tickets went through the freaking roof the past few years. Because the team was winning. So, uh, Rogers essentially has to make a decision. If they're going to be alright in chasing that kind of glory that the Raptors got. They're going to have to take some hits on this and it's going to be in attendance and it's going to be in money and it'll remain to be seen if they're willing to do that and then willing to spend the money when the time comes to make that investment in this team. Um, speaking of investments in this team, we will talk about some potential future solutions to the roster right after this break. But before we do, I know you already heard this today, but just a reminder that if you need the latest news on NBA free agency, follow 
all the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one Twitter feed at Locked On NBA Net. It's a great way to get all the latest opinions from local experts so you know if Jimmy Butler is being traded to Houston or if Kyrie showed up at um, some random restaurant in Memphis. Who knows? But anyway, check out LockedOnNBA.net to get all those takes during this silly season in the NBA. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back. So um, this, this is inspired by fellow Jays from the Couch writer, friend of the podcast, all-around great person, Karen Suter at Karen Suter one um, Yesterday, she asked how many of, of a list of nine players would be in Toronto when they're actually contending again. And you can take that question a few different ways because you can try and project when Toronto will actually be a contender. You can be incredibly cynical and say they won't be contending, so none of them will be there. But I I wanted to kind of go through and give my take on here. And like, I mean, it's it's a studded list. Let's let's just go for it right quick. Vlad Jr. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be on his team as long as the Blue Jays can keep him. Lourdes Gurriel, pretty much assuring himself with this new approach at the plate, his ability to fire from left field. I think Gurriel is going to be staying here. I'm essentially assuming that the Blue Jays will be back in contention within three years. So take this for, for what you think. Kevin Biggio, yes. He's the best Blue Jay at getting on base right now. They need him. So, yeah, Kevin gets to stay. Um, Bo Bichette, again, very obvious, very strong candidate to man that shortstop position for the next 10 years. So, pretty sure he's in. This is where it starts to get interesting. Rowdy Telez. I've seen some of the fans think that Telez might have too many holes in his swing. But I see Telez as a first baseman who bats lefty, which this Blue Jays team needs that that option from the left-hand side. And his defense has been getting better, which I think is what the Blue Jays wanted to see out of him to make sure they can trade Justin Smoke and give him that job outright. So I think Rowdy's staying. Danny Jansen. Jansen's interesting because the bat has taken a step back. And again, as we talked about earlier, it could be coming back with the kind of performance that he had against the Yankees. But um, you wonder how, you know, the emergence of prospects like Alejandro Kirk could impact Jansen. Like, I mean, Max Pentecost has been taken out of the picture, so he doesn't have to worry about him. Reese McGuire hasn't shown much of a bat, but if Kirk continues to hit and can catch a decent game, that might put some pressure on Jansen, but I think Jansen will end up staying just for defensive purposes. Um, 
Teoscar Hernandez. See, the power is always tantalizing with Teoscar. The speed is tantalizing. But with Guriel pretty much locking down left field, does that knock Teoscar out of it? Because they're playing him in center. Well, actually, let's combine the last three names on Karen's list because it's Teoscar Hernandez, Randall Grichuk, and Anthony Alford. I, I think Grichuk would be in like the fourth year of his deal and probably playing right field. So I have to imagine Grichuk is here by default. They may look at moving the contract at that point, but I think he would remain there. Anthony Alford's the guy who they clearly want to be center fielder. And he's starting to hit a little more in Buffalo. So that could help his cause. And after that initial burst coming back up, Teoscar's kind of fallen back a little bit into his old habits and not really hitting for average, which does it, which means he can't use his speed on the base paths as effectively. So I don't think Teoscar makes it. I think eventually he's going to be DFA'd because if the Blue Jays are going to sign anyone from free agency for the offense, it's going to be in the outfield. And with Guriel and Grichik already there and with Alfred nipping at his heels, I think Teoscar's the casualty and I think he goes. So that's my answer. Most of those players are going to stay there. But I, I think Teoscar is the one most in jeopardy, him and Alfred. One of them is going to take the other out. Um, and I just wanted to mention this in contrast to a piece that was thrown up on um, future Blue Jays by Mason McRae. It's trending on Blue Jays aggregator, so I'm like, okay, I'll have a look at it. And I kind of wish I didn't, because some of these trades that Mason's proposing is silly. Like trading Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles to St. Louis for Nolan Gorman, Andrew Neiser, Alex Reyes and Brett Cecil, which, okay. Um, basically, Mason's strategy is to take on salary in order to try and get better prospects. But Reyes has been so injury prone, I don't think you'd have to take on Brett Cecil's contract to try and get Alex Reyes in that deal. And then, like, Gorman's uh, a talented shortstop, sure, but you have one of those in Beau Bichette. Um... You want to get Andrew Neiser, sure, but you're not trading both those pitchers to St. Louis to get that. Um, he has Justin Smoke going to Oakland for three prospects, which I would be amazed if the Blue Jays can get three prospects. He has them getting um, Grant Holmes, who's a former first rounder, Brett Siddle, Canadian. I don't know if he's related to Joe. And Austin Beck, um, I don't think Smoke's going to bring that much in a trade. So that that kind of threw me off. And then this is the fun trade. Um, Tim Meza and Socrates Brito to the White Sox for Kelvin Herrera, 
Bryce Bush and slot pool money. Again, he's trying to use the Blue Jays' capital income to acquire what in that trade? I don't really know. You're trading your only lefty reliever and expecting Socrates Brito to have value in a trade. And I, I, it, it baffles me. Um, then let's go for his free agent signings. Corey Dickerson, three years at 22 and a half million. No, not with that crowded outfield we just talked about. Steve Pierce, one year, six million. Why, why is Pierce coming to Toronto? Colin McHugh, five years, $55 million. That is Gilmesh level bad. Do not, under any circumstance, give Colin McHugh, who is 32, a five-year deal. When you're trading off Marcus Stroman because he's not in the trade window, Colin McHugh, like Colin McHugh is already outside Vlad's window. He's in the next yard over, like like tending the garden over there. Colin McHugh makes no sense for five years at $55 million. Then, then his solution for, for the rest of the rotation, Shelby Miller at two years, $12 million. Shelby Miller has an eight ERA for Texas. Just no. And then, Araldus Vizcaino, four years at $9 million. How are you going to get Araldus Vizcaino to agree to that? I know he just had elbow surgery, but then why are you giving him a four-year deal? That does not make sense. And then and then you look look through, like, like he has Ryan Tapera going to AAA. That's never going to happen. He doesn't have the options. Um... David Phelps declining the option. If you're getting Kelvin Herrera and Brett Cecil and Araldus Vizcaino, why not keep Phelps on the cheaper deal? Just and then and then to cap it off, um, Mason's starting rotation for for this Blue Jays team next season that has Corey Dickerson and Steve Pierce for for whatever reason and had various misspellings throughout. Which I mean, come on, dude, just self-edit a little bit this this was a top trending article on blue jays aggregator like come on um starting rotation matt shoemaker colin McHugh, shelby miller sean reed foley and patrick murphy people are complaining that this blue jays rotation is bad that blue jays rotation is going to average a seven era I'm sorry. And then his relief core is Elvis Luciano, which that's not happening. Elvis is spending 2020 and maybe 2021 in the minors to be a starter. Um, Vizcaino, Cecil Herrera, Aaron Sanchez, Ryan Barucki, and Trent Thornton. Why are you spending money if Trent Thornton already proved he can be a starter, if Ryan Barucki already proved he can be a starter, why are you shoving them into the, into relief and spending money on Colin McHugh and Shelby Miller? It makes no sense. I wish I did not click on that article, but I did. And now y'all have to hear about it because it just made me angry. Just like this, this is the kind of management that resulted in the Blue Jays being entirely mediocre and in in like 
all of the 2000s like this like the first part of this millennium and like this this isn't even good it it would it would probably result in the same record this year just i don't know i i got angry at it i had to share the anger i'm sorry but we have done it we have completed the double header we've gone really long on this one this this is my apology for not having this up the first two days i said i was going to do the double header so thank you all for listening as i ranted a bit on that um just a reminder uh tomorrow's blue jays fan friday so if you want to get involved follow me on twitter at neoac18 that's neoac18 you can send your thoughts i'll probably try and think of something to ask either tonight or tomorrow so look for that follow the podcast at locked on jays on twitter instagram facebook subscribe on stitcher spotify himalaya apple podcast google podcast wherever you get podcasts subscribe make sure you don't miss an episode and yeah thanks for sticking with me we got it in congratulations to y'all for for listening to me rant a bit um and yeah for everyone at the locked on podcast network and everyone at jaysfromthecouch.com i'm aj andrews thank you all so much for listening to today's episode and y'all take care